Hi, and welcome to a podcast from Hope Springs Church Coventry. For more, please find us on Facebook at Hope Springs Church or on Twitter, we're at Hope Springs Cobb. Thank you and enjoy. Let me just pray before we begin. So Jesus, just thank you for our wonderful time this morning. Just thank you so much for... As, as we start with just the Holy Spirit having your way and being welcome. And we just say that as we turn to look at this area of Sabbath and worship and how these two ideas kind of cross over, we just ask that you would again have your way. The Holy Spirit, take what I prepared and just split it up in, every, in many ways as needed so that it speaks to each one of our hearts. That Jesus, we want to see you in what I've shared this morning. So just help us to have eyes to see, just flood the eyes of our hearts with light that we would see you, Jesus. And we would come to trust and rely on you like never before. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So um, I'm finishing off our Rule of Life series, which feels a bit sags on the Sabbath because I really do genuinely love this stuff. Um, We've looked at how within Sabbath there's the kind of four elements. So we've looked at the fact there's a stop. We've then looked at the fact there's a rest and then delight, and then um, today I'm going to look at worship. And we've looked at those four different parts. Um, And in each of those things, there's a really key key and significant um, kind of idea attached to those that helps us develop this rule of life, that helps us develop this this kind of um, way of practicing things, that as we've talked about before, with the definition of what a rule of life is about, it's about that trellis. It's about that trellis that helps to direct the um, grapevine to grow. Now, the trellis doesn't make the grapevine grow. The grapevine grows because it's attached to the branch and it's attached to the vine and therefore from there it grows. But the trellis helps to direct and helps it to grow. In the same kind of way, these things we're talking about, these rules of life, this rule of life, this Sabbath or fasting would be one or prayer, they don't make us grow this isn't that actually i fasted more than matt this week and therefore i must have grown more than matt this week or i prayed harder than than jeremy this week and therefore i must have been grown more actually no those practices like the trellis on a grapevine are there to guide my growth but my growth happens because i am abiding in jesus that's why the growth happens and therefore that's what causes growth in all of us that we are imbibing remaining settling down in Jesus these practices help us to do that the the practices are not the goal the practices are not the aim growth and abiding in Jesus is the aim and the goal and these things aid us like a trellis aids us Um, I don't drink wine um, particularly I like a red every now and again but I don't really like wine but nobody ever celebrates the trellis for the type of wine that you drink. That just doesn't happen. You don't go to the shop and on the, on the shelf have, this one was grown on this trellis. That's why it was amazing. No, they celebrate the, the kind of, the fruit that bores from that thing, but the trellis helps that to grow. Same kind of thing. It's not about celebrating the practices. Not about celebrating Sabbathing. Sabbathing is a tool to get us somewhere, to get us to a point of fruitfulness and growth and abiding in Jesus. Okay? And I could talk about that for a long time, but I'm going to move on. So, um, as we talked about 
with coming within the Sabbath one, then within the Sabbath practice of our rule of life, our way of doing things, our spiritual disciplines, we had stop, rest, delight, and worship. Now I'm going to finish today with worship. Um, it's really interesting, over the last week or so, this, this, I, I, I'm normally quite logical and systematic in the way I prepare, and I've genuinely struggled to prepare for this this week. Um, and then Pete and the guys led worship this morning, it kind of just clarified and crystallised where I felt it should land, so that's really helpful. Um, if in future you could just come and lead worship in my house, just as I'm preparing, it'd be quite helpful for me with that. Um, but, um, and a few things I have heard this week just kind of stuck with me and just kind of um, landed there. And one of them is I've heard a few famous people, well-known people, should I probably say, uh, that are in kind of significant areas of society, whether in education or in politics or in different things, not practicing Christians, not even ha- holding a Christian faith, but a number of them say things like, um, the Christian way of life, the Christian way of living, the things that they would adhere to morally or in terms of practice, they would say are the best way to kind of live life. And this is someone that's not holding a Christian faith saying actually this is the best way to kind of live life. These principles that Christians hold to of things like a good moral standard or generosity and those kind of things, these are the things that lead to a good life. And it's all, you, you hear that, and you go, oh yeah, they are, absolutely that. And I was kind of encouraged by it. But then on reflection with it, I was like, actually, that's also incredibly dangerous. Because what it does is it puts up the practices and the principles above the connection and the relationship to Jesus. And he goes, if you follow these practices and principles, you'll have a good life. And that is better than having a bad life, but actually that's not the aim. That's like focusing on the trellis all over again. It's like going, actually, if you do these things, you're going to have the best the best fruit. But actually you're going to have the best fruit if you abide in the vine and you are connected to that. If you're disconnected from that but have the best kind of trellis, you ain't going to get any fruit. There's not going to be any real richness in what goes on. Um, and so it kind of, I, I then was like, actually I don't like that. that. That isn't good in the way that I thought it was. And then I was preparing and I was reading and thoughts started to land and then as this came this morning, it all kind of landed and stuff. And um, Eugene Peterson, I'm going to quote Eugene Peterson because the next slide might be slightly offensive and it's not meant to be entirely offensive. It's slightly offensive but not entirely offensive. But he, he, he calls um, one of these things the bastard Sabbath. And Eugene Peterson said that, not me. Just so I'm going to quote Eugene Peterson. And the reason he says that is because he says what's happened is that we have got an illegitimate um, Sabbath that's kind of been born or created. And it's been created because as a society we've had this Christian society where we've got to a Sunday and it's been considered a day of rest. And it's known, isn't it? A day of rest. That's the day that we have a day of rest. And then we also have this idea that actually the weekend, Saturday and Sunday, are our days off. So what Sabbath has become, it's become a day off with this old age Christian principle and the two have come together. And and it's created this thing which is not Sabbath. It's created this idea, it's this amalgamation between kind of a day off and church or a day off and Sabbath. And it's this like weird concoction again, which then allows these kind of well-meaning public figures to go, actually, if we practice what Christians practice, we're having this day off, actually that's better for our lives. Having that rest day is better for our lives. And it might be better for our lives, but it's not Sabbathing. Because Sabbathing isn't just about stopping. It's not just about resting. And it's not even just about delighting. 
Because all those things can be done by somebody who has no relationship with Jesus or whatsoever. I can go to anybody. I could teach in school and say, right, a really good way of living, scientifically proven, kind of morally helpful, is if you one day a week you just stop. And on that day a week, you just chill out and rest. And in that day of resting, I want you to just to look for all the good that is around you in the world, in your family, in nature, and all that kind of stuff. None of those three things, in and of themselves, are offensive to anybody with any faith. Or no faith. Anybody can practice those these things. And it goes back to those public figures saying, actually, this is the good stuff. Practice these Christian things, and actually your life will end up being being healthy and good and whole and wholesome and all that kind of stuff until you get to worship worship becomes the offensive one and therefore worship is what defines sabbath yes we stop that's massively important yes we rest and that's hugely important yes we delight absolutely but actually all of those things are underpinned by a heart of worship to jesus and jesus alone that's what sabbath thing is that's what it is it's not just so i feel more rested for the week ahead it's not just so i feel actually i've had my chill out day and i've got my chance just to be with my family that's wonderful but actually in all of that stuff it's actually i've done this to be with jesus to worship him and put him first above everything else that is sabbath thing and that can't be done by anybody that's not connected to the vine by anybody that's not connected to Jesus because that's offensive and therefore I want to just talk a bit about that because even way back at the beginning God gets at this constantly again and again and again and he uses this phrase and he says I want you to remember the Sabbath by keeping it holy not by just having a chill out day not by just having a day where you rest or stop not by even having a day where you do this wonderful kind of deeply kind of almost spiritual thing of like noticing everything and delighting everything and i'm not knocking that that's really important but that in and of itself is not the thing that's not the goal the goal is to keep it holy and that isn't the okay on the sabbath day i'm gonna make sure i don't sin i don't do anything bad i don't do anything wrong i don't do i don't make mistakes that's not what god talks about when he talks about holiness that's part of it but it's not the aim it's not like actually we then just don't do anything wrong the aim is actually keep it holy god says multiple times his call is only to be holy because i am holy that's not him lifting up a demand to say i want you to be this good because i'm this good i want you to do these things right because i do these things right or i want you to to make moral choices all the time because i make moral choices all the time that is part of it i'm not i'm not absolving us of, of good moral decisions but the point why god said i want you to be holy because i am holy i want you to be set apart because that's where i am i want you to if i was to change the language slightly i want you to be where i am so in your keeping the sabbath i want you to do it by being with me by being in this space of saying actually this is where i am i want you just to take a moment and i want you just to know that in that moment you're with me that think about Genesis, the beginning of our Sabbath rhythm and routine, that God on the seventh day rested. And on that seventh day, he made, the, sorry, on the sixth day, he made Adam and Eve. And on the seventh day, he rested. He rested with them. That the, he is there. God rested. And that was man's first day. What? With him resting, with God resting. The Sabbath is all about. <coughs> 
leading us to a point, the stopping, the resting and delighting us so that we can come to a place of worship. Say, so God, it's all about you. Which is why this morning when the guys led us in worship, it was just so beautiful. Because it just reminded us again and again and again that I put my faith in Jesus. That's it. It's him or nothing. And I do wonder whether we as a church, us but also widen that, are coming to a point where that will become even more true. That actually, Jesus is you, or this whole thing goes wrong. Because all the other things we rely on, all the other things we, we kind of gently lean on, we don't think we do, but we do a little bit, like those things I just feel like are going. And actually it's been to this point where actually my faith is in Jesus. And Jesus, if you don't turn up, if you don't do what you can do in this situation, this whole thing is falling down. And I think he's bringing it to that place of actually my faith is in Jesus. And that's expressed by the fact that Jesus, you are the one I worship. You are the one I give my time to. You are the one who I adore and I revere and I honour. And when we look at the definition, I mean, we, we know this, but I thought it was interesting to bring up. that The idea of worship in Christianity, worship is an act of attributing reverent honour and homage to God. In the New Testament, various words are used to refer to what the, the term worship. One is, I'm not going to pronounce that, but it's to worship, which means to bow down to God. And there's this idea of, in our maybe, in our kind of, I don't know, maybe enlightenment culture and society, this idea of actually the reverence of God or the fear of God, not out of like, a spirit of torment or fear but the fear the reverence of God seems to have been removed from our language it's like I love God with all my heart he loves me but actually I also have a reverent fear of him mm. not as someone I'm scared of that I would draw back from but going man you are you are amazing mm. you are stunning you are beautiful you are just beyond anything I can describe you are that good and actually the, there's this idea that worship is that it's going God you are so good and I just caught a glimpse of you again and the, as we practice Sabbath the stopping the resting the delighting what it brings us to is just a point where we just see him like, you are just so good and it's you God or nothing else I don't know where else to go other than you I don't know what else to do other than you because you are it and there's this place of worship There's a, a really we've been reading as a number of us have been reading through the Bible and we've got to Jeremiah and one of the most famous Bible verses in Jeremiah if I was to say Jeremiah 29 11 anyone know what that is off the top head? there you go okay I know the plans I have for you declares the Lord plans to prosper you not to harm you give you hope and a future famous verse in Jeremiah isn't it? I don't think I'd ever realised that that was set in the context of the children of Israel going into exile and so actually he is speaking to them in a place where they're not in any familiar environment they've actually been everything they've known is gone and he's then saying oh, actually, I, but I know the plans I've got for you I know the plans I've got for you plans to give you a hope and a future not to bring harm but for you good and it's beautiful and then even before that, there's even more context, which I don't know why. I think, I think it's because that verse is so famous. What tends to happen is we focus in on that. And sometimes we don't look at what's before and after or in the context of it. At least that's sometimes the way I've approached it. But in Jeremiah 2011, 29, sorry, 29, where this verse 11 sits, there's a context. And it's really interesting. If you do want to turn there, you can go on your phones or your physical Bible. Just go to Jeremiah 29. 
And I want to bring this into the context of Sabbath and the worship that we encounter and the, the reverence we give to God in Sabbath. Because the children of Israel <coughs> have been sent into exile. And it says this in Jeremiah 29, 11, verse 1. It says, This is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Um, I'm going to skip verse 2, just gives a bit of context. Um, verse 3, He entrusted the letter to Elisha, son of Shaphan, and to some other person, and some other person, and some other person, and he said this, verse 4, This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage, so that they too may have sons and daughters and increase in number there. Do not decrease. Verse 7. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, if it prospers you too will prosper. Now that is genuinely stunning. The children of Israel have left everything that God <coughs> led them into, the promised land. All that promise, everything they had there, the, the kind of cities, the, the kind of way of life, all that kind of stuff, it obviously gone wrong. All that is gone. Now God doesn't say, you're going to go into exile and actually I want you to resist. I want you to resist the oppressor. I want you to fight against Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar and all those people that have taken you away. I want you to fight away and be this kind of pocket of resistance and just put rebellions on and, and all, trying to overthrow stuff and all that kind of stuff. He doesn't say any of that stuff. He says, right, you're going to be carried into exile. In fact, I am going to carry you into exile. God's saying, I'm going to carry you into exile. And when you get there, when you get to this place, it's not home, that is not your place, it actually is the enemy who has taken you. I want you to settle down there. I want you to have kids there. I want you to plant a garden. I want you to build a house. I want you to, to actually go beyond that. I want you to seek the prosperity of that place. I want you to do what you can do to make sure that place succeeds. <coughs> the God, in other words, is saying, in this place, I want it to be normal life. I want it to be life as normal. I want you to treat it like this is where you're going to spend the next 70 plus years of your life. I want this to become home. And it's interesting for me because I obviously went to Wembley yesterday and um, I am not a through and through Cov supporter. But it is a funny thing for me because I genuinely have a deep affection for, for the football team, but it, obviously for the city. This is home to me. And if, in my own mind, I was thinking, actually, I want Cov to win because I want Cov to win. But actually, this verse, as I was preparing, kind of came up. It's like, actually, I want to seek the prosperity of the place I'm at. I'm a Man United fan through and through. When Man U play Cov, it's only manual I want to win, okay? But when Cobb play anyone else, that's who I want to win. I want Cobb to win because I want to seek the prosperity of where I'm at. And it's a funny way of looking at it, but it's a similar thing that he's saying here. It's actually in this place you're in, I want you to root for them. I want you to root for, for Babylon, for the people that have just overthrown you. I want you to root for them. I want you to cheer for them. I want you to, to celebrate their successes. To when, the, when things go well for them, I want, you, I want you to be like, yes, this is brilliant news. Now that is shocking. But God said, I want you to make your home there. And it's really interesting that he, he's saying that because that applies maybe to us as well in, in our 
I don't know, post-Christianity Britain? Do we make our home here? We seek the prosperity of a space that some might argue is taking our rights as Christians away from us. Or some might suggest actually well, it's, 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 not a, it's not a good environment for Christians to be in right now. I'm convinced more than ever that this is what God would say. See the prosperity of it. Pray that the, those in leadership, those in government, those in whatever it is, that they, 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 they have prosperity, that, 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 that things go well for them. See, build a house, settle down, plant. Make it a home. And it's interesting because he's basically saying, settle down and do the ordinary. Do the things that they do, live the way that they live, but. And there is a massive but. Because it, it links into what we talked about with the Sabbath stuff. It's like, stop. Everyone can stop. Everyone can rest. Everyone can delight. But not everyone can worship. And that's the line in the sand. It's, God is saying, settle down, do the ordinary in Babylon. See the prosperity of Babylon. B- build a house, have kids, get married, have grandkids, plant a garden. Do all those normal things there. Live life there. But don't bow down to their idols. Don't submit to their, their worship patterns. Don't, don't do that. You can see the prosperity of how they function, how they live, but that, that's not what we do. And that's the kind of thing with the Sabbath thing, isn't it? It's like, everyone can stop, everyone can rest, everyone can light, but not everyone can worship. Because worship requires our hearts to go, God, it is you above everything else. No matter what happens in this situation, no matter what goes on, I am never, ever bowing the knee to anybody else. It's you, Jesus. You are the name above every name. I put my faith in Jesus. That it is his breath I breathe and I pour out my praise to him and him alone. And that, that's what he was saying to, to the children of Israel when they go there. Go in, settle down, do the ordinary stuff, see the prosperity where you're at. But don't start to take on their idols. Don't start to, to, to worship the golden calves they've got. Don't start to do that kind of stuff. And we have so many examples of this, of where... A number of the children of Israel started to do that. They, 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 they embraced life so much there that they started to worship the idols and the calves and the kings and all that kind of stuff that went on in, in Babylon. But then we have countless ones. And there are a lot, oftentimes our favourite stories of people like Daniel in the lion's den. Is an example of someone that was there, was actually succeeded in that environment, but refused to bow the knee to any other god but God alone. He, he said, no, I'm not, I'm not worshipping. I'll, I'll do I'll, I will help you succeed, but I am not worshipping who you asked me to worship. I'm not doing it. I'm not doing that. And that's why the worship part of Sabbath is so important, because it's the same thing. I can do all the similar things that you do. I can almost look a bit like you, but when it gets to that point, that's a line I do not cross. I'm not crossing it, no matter what happens. And my favourite one, and we could bring up countless ones of these, but my favourite one is Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. Now, this is the context they're in. These guys are probably in their teens they have come into exile along with the children of Israel and they are succeeding to a certain extent they've got some lineage and some backgrounds probably helping them to succeed but they're, they're, they're succeeding but they're doing what God said to do they're seeking the prosperity of where they're at they're seeking the prosperity of Babylon and therefore they've risen up <coughs> and they've got this situation and it says Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego answered and said to the king O Nebuchadnezzar 
We have no need to answer you in this matter. Because it's such a foregone conclusion. Nebuchadnezzar is basically telling them, you need to, guys, you've got to bow down and worship the gods that I'm telling you to worship. And their response is, we don't even need to answer you. Because we're never going to do that. That's never going to happen. I know, I, know, I know we've looked compliant up to this point. I know, I know we've looked like we've done the right things for you up to this point. I know we've probably helped you up to this point. But that is not a line we're going to cross. And then he said, if that is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. Their, their, their stances actually will, will help you succeed, king. We'll, we'll seek the prosperity of where we're at. We'll build homes here and we'll look like we're part of the kind of culture and society that's here. But actually, in here, in our hearts, we're never going to bow down to the God you tell us to bow down to. And I don't care whether you throw us into the fire furnace and we don't survive because it doesn't make any difference to us. We're not going to bow down. And there's one version, I couldn't find it this morning, but it says um, something almost like where they've kind of come in, we, we have no need to answer you in this matter. So I think it says something like, it's so clear what our answer is. That it was so obvious from the way they conducted themselves, so obvious from the way they lived. It's like, well, why would we ever do that? And as we were seeing this morning, just the, the kind of phrase that went across my mind when we were saying, it, it, it's your breath in our lungs, so we pour out our praise. It's just this, this kind of merged together with that. And I was like, actually, in their minds, it's, it's actually that you may take our life, but the gold images and the calves and the stuff you want us to bow down to doesn't give us any life. So, so we might save our lives, but actually that image is not life at all. It doesn't give us anything. And yet, our physical lives may depart, but the one who gave us life is going to be right there on the other side of this. So it doesn't matter whether we die, we will still encounter life because we'll encounter God on the other side. Whether we live, we'll still encounter life because God will be with us. And we know in this situation, don't we, that the, the kind of their, their stance changed the culture their stance and you can turn there briefly i've got a little bit more of it it's in um daniel 3 and <coughs> we just pick up verse 19 just after this has happened and it says this then nebuchadnezzar was full of fury and the expression of his face changed towards shadrach meshach and abednego and because he, he before that he he thinks they are on his side these guys are successful it's like and he's like what do you mean you're not gonna bow down like, why wouldn't you? Because up to that point, they've done what God said. See the prosperity of where you're at. But actually, don't cross that line. Like, we're not going to cross that line. We're never going to bow down and worship. And he spoke and commanded that, that the heat of the furnace seven times more than it was usually heated. And he commanded certain mighty men of valor who were, who were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and cast them into the fiery furnace. Then the, these men were bound in their coats, their trousers and turbans, and their other garments, and were cast into the midst of the fiery furnace. Verse 22. Therefore, because the king's command was urgent, and the furnace was exceedingly hot, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Which is not funny, but it's just insane when you think about, like, the guys who were throwing them in there died as they were throwing them in there, because it was so hot. Um, and these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down, bound into the midst of the fiery furnace. Verse 24. Then... King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and he rose in haste and spoke saying to his counsellors did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire 
The Anderson said to the king, True, O king. He said, Look, he answered, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt, and the form of the four is like the Son of God. Verse 26. Then Nebuchadnezzar went near the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spoke, saying, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came from the midst of the fire, and the straps, so the, the, the satraps, so the, the administrators, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together, and they saw these men. So think about who that is everybody. Everybody who is in, in, in an influential position in, the, in this community in Babylon sees this happen. And they saw these men on their bodies. The, fu- the fire had no power. The hair of the head was not singed, nor were their garments affected, and the smell of fire was not on them. And yet the people that threw them in died. And yet these guys haven't been affected at all. Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him, and they have, they have frustrated the king's word and yielded their bodies that they should not serve nor worship any god except their own god. Now, I fully believe that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego really got to a point of not caring whether they lived or died in that context. But in the process of them living, it changed the culture. It changed the attitude. It changed, it changed the, the perspective of the king. The, 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 his view of the God that they worship changed. And I think that as we f- finish looking at our Sabbath practice, it's the realisation that, yes, we absolutely should stop once a week and rest and we absolutely see in that process of delight but actually in all of that the purpose of it is to turn our hearts and attention and give space to jesus and say jesus you are it you have my heart you are you are the one that i serve you are the one that i love you are the one that i fear you are the one that i adore you are you are it and what that does in us is it kind of just creates this kind of like shadrach meshach and abednego kind of attitude that says actually no matter what i confront it is Jesus above everything. It is him above everything. And it creates this kind of resilience on the inside of us. And so as we do Sabbath, we do Sabbath unto God. And we do Sabbath with God. That it's in that space of rest and stopping and delighting that we give time. Say, so Jesus, this is with you. This is unto you. I am bowing my knee to you. I am submitting my heart to you. And maybe, maybe we're not, but in our lived experience in Britain in 2023, maybe there's a point where these kind of conversations, these Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego kind of conversations come up. Maybe they don't, I don't know. But the point is that in our hearts, in all that we do, our hearts are given to Jesus and therefore in our conduct, in our attitudes, in our workplace, in our homes, in our neighbourhoods, in our streets, everywhere we go, what we're doing is we are making those places holy because we are practising this attitude of being holy because he is holy. This attitude of saying, God, I'm with you. Wherever you are, whatever you do, I'm with you. So as I go into work, my attitude is that I'm, I'm with you. God, I'm with you. Whatever you want me to do in this situation, I will do that. When I'm at home with my kids, it's like whatever is honouring to you, Jesus, I will do that in this household. Whatever is honouring to you, Jesus, in the way I interact with my friends in my neighbourhood and all those kind of things is honouring to you, Jesus. I will do that. 
And therefore what we're doing is we're making those spaces holy. We're making those spaces set apart to God. We're making those spaces, places where he is honoured and revered and esteemed. I could keep talking, but I want to stop. So Jesus, just thank you that as we continue to practice the practices, as we continue to actually do Sabbath, not just hear about it and learn about it, but as we continue to practice it and do it in the way that we can. Jesus, I just ask that worship, that the reverence and honour of you would be the number one thing. In our stopping, we'd be honouring you. In our resting, we'd be honouring you. In our delighting, we'd be honouring you. And in our worship, we'd be honouring you. That in our Sabbathing, we would be honouring you. That just like Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, let that be the line. That Jesus, we will seek the prosperity of where we're at, but we're never going to worship their gods. We're never going to bow down to their idols. We're never going to submit to that. But Jesus, you are the number one in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.